The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash Bill Risser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. I would say that the, the one thing that has amazed me the most since I've taken this job is the amount of time and dedication that our volunteers put in. You know, you think of these individuals, they're taking time away from their friends, their family, their jobs, all to help make our realtor world here in Arizona a, a better one. And, and we've been very lucky. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Welcome to episode 72 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Today we're coming back to the state of Arizona and I'm very excited to have our guest on today. I've got to tell you, I do a lot of research on people before I interview them for the podcast. I want to know a little bit about them. But Scott Drucker, general counsel for the Arizona Association of Realtors, is really good at keeping stuff private. So we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about that, but I'm really excited to talk to Scott about his background, where, he, where how he got involved in real estate, and some of the key issues that are affecting the Arizona Association today. So Scott, thank you so much, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to it. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's start with where you grew up. There's a little, little bit of an accent there that you still have. Where, where, what's your hometown? Baltimore, Maryland. Ah, very good. So, so. Try, try not to uh, get the accent too prevalent, but, uh, but sometimes it comes out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know you. We've talked a little bit about sports. You're a huge sports fan. Yep. Um, Baltimore had some amazing things happening in the last couple of decades, right? Uh, so let's go back. Let's start with the Orioles because in 83, they won a World Series. Uh, that was Cal Ripken. Who else was on that team? Yep. How, how about them O's, right? How, how about them O's? Yeah. There it is. Good. And Al Bumbery, Mike Flanagan, yeah. Dickie Martinez, Dennis Martinez. Those were, uh, those were some good, that was a good, good team, good era. So you're a young kid Ed at Martin. the time. How to talk about that experience. I mean, it was exciting. I mean, the whole town was, was just wrapped up in, and I remember going to, uh, going to one of the playoff games, uh, with my dad. He was nice enough to, uh, to, to get tickets and to take me. And it's something, you know, that I remember to this day, um, didn't get to any of the, uh, the world series games, but you know, just remembering how excited everyone was, um, in 83. And, uh, unfortunately that was the last time they won the world series. So it, it's been quite a while. Yeah. Let's go to the football side of things, right? Sure. So, what, what year did the Ravens get there from oh, Cleveland? Gosh. Was that kind of late nineties? Late nineties, right? Yeah, so, 90, yeah. So you're a Colts fan growing up. Yeah, when I was a when I was a little kid, um, going to the Colts games, but then for really, um, they left, and we didn't have a football team yeah. for for most of the time that I was growing up in Baltimore, as they left for uh, Indianapolis. Okay, so you're already kind of away at college, and you're doing your own thing uh, when the Ravens when the decide Ravens. to. Moved back to town, yeah, gotcha, or gotcha. came to town, I should say. When Modell did his thing, right? Exactly. Was, was Modell the middle of the night, or was that Ursay going the other way? <laughs> that was Ursay taking the uh, the Mayflower moving trucks in the middle of the night in a snowstorm, heading out of town without telling anyone after he had just told uh, Donald Schaefer, the, the mayor, that uh, they'd be staying. Wow. 
All right. So you don't sound bitter at all. That's great. I we'll, still we'll have keep some, moving. Still have some hard feelings towards the Ursae family. Okay. All right. So uh, we, won't, we won't bring them up anymore. Uh, let's. So you grew up in Baltimore. I know you went to college in New York, though. What, what took you up? up north to go to get your uh, undergraduate degree yeah i went to the uh the university of rochester in in upstate new york and uh four years that i really liked and i in fact i i liked uh, living in rochester but the reason that i made that decision um was it at the time i knew that i wanted to be a political science major and university of rochester had a top 10 political science department and that was important to me as you entered college did you know you were going to be an attorney Probably. Yeah, I, I had a pretty good idea that that was the line of uh, of work that I wanted to go into. I, I didn't think I was going to be litigating. I didn't think I was going to be in real estate. But I knew that being an attorney would open up a lot of doors in the uh, in the business world. And that's really kind of what I was focusing on at the time. And um, and I guess specifically, you know, uh, sports and sports marketing and sports agency. That was always something that, um, you know, was a dream. And, and even if it was maybe a, a little unrealistic to for a long term career, it was exciting to think of. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, there are a lot of attorneys that have those roles in the sports world, right? I mean, <clears throat> what comes to mind for me right away is Larry Lacchino, who, I mean, he was part of EB, Edgar Bennett Williams' team, uh, did some work on Watergate, believe it or not, I think in the 70s as a young attorney. Uh, but then, you know, Edgar Bennett Williams owned the Orioles, right? I think, and groomed Lacchino yes. to kind of take right. over that role as right. president. Before so. Lacchino moved out <clears throat> to San Diego. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, even guys, you know, today, uh, Dick Cass, who is the, uh, the president of the Ravens, he is, a, is an attorney. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they do play, attorneys do play a large role in, uh, in the sports world, but it's, you know, it's limited number of positions and right. it can be difficult to break into. Right. So you graduate from the university of Rochester. Do you go straight for your JD right after that? I did. Yeah. I went, I went straight into law school. Uh, I knew it was. I knew number one, I didn't want to get a job at that point in time. Didn't wasn't quite ready for that. And uh, and number two, knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, and so figured, why wait? Just go ahead and uh, and do it. And you decided to go to Washington D.C. Yeah, to uh, to George Washington University in Washington D.C. And that was exciting for me. You know, I had been in Rochester and a little bit of an isolated campus, and to move into a, to a big city and have all the opportunities that come with living in Washington, D.C. and going to school in Washington, D.C. was, as I said, exciting. Talk about that campus. Uh, it's right downtown. I mean, it's is it on M Street? Yeah, right, it's right yep, there. Right in Foggy Bottom, right downtown. It, it's, um, you know, it's truly a, a campus within a city. And I lived right in Washington, D.C., kind of out, right outside of DuPont Circle. So I would just walk down to Foggy Bottom every day to go to class. And uh, I loved it, loved that area. And I loved all the excitement of, of living in the city. I have a son whose dream is to work in Washington. He's working his way there now, got his master's, and we were able to visit him. He was living kind of over by Howard a little bit. Sure. Little gentrification going on there. He had a, I've never heard of this before, but an English-style apartment. Okay, I'll take your word for uh, that. Some kind of a basement apartment. I don't know what that means. But, um, but yeah, it, it's just an amazing, walkable city that, you know, people tend to go back there and just see the highlights, right? Yeah. They hit the mall. They hit all the, the, big the, tourist the monuments. Sites. But the city itself, very cool. It, it is. And, you know, one of the, the good things about it for me was when you're in law school, you have no money. So having the opportunity to go to all those free attractions in D.C. is very beneficial because it, it allows you to get out and do things without having to spend a lot of the money that we didn't have. Yeah. Did you play in a softball league on the mall? Yeah, of course. Did everybody you? does. I was going to say. Everybody yeah. does. If that if you're in D.C., that's just what you do. Yeah, that's great. And going to law school there, um, you get the opportunity to earn credits outside of sitting in the classroom. And so I interned for the uh, the NCAA 
in their lobbying division, their federal lobbying division. It was based in D.C. I interned for the American Arbitration Association. And so you have some of those opportunities because these large entities um, have offices, headquarters in D- in Washington, D.C. And so that was one of the uh, the reasons that um, D.C. was attractive to me. I would think internships are just all over the place there. That's right. right. I mean, That's just, right. And, you know, one of the other law schools that I was considering, I think it, it came down to uh, to George Washington University and Cornell. And I just didn't see those same opportunities in, in Cornell that I, that I saw in, in Washington, D.C. You talked about sports marketing or, or sports management. Um, you had an opportunity to kind of explore that right out of college, right? Talk about your yeah. next step after you get your degree. So in, in law school, for, for two years in law school and then a, a couple of years um, after I graduated from law school, really my, my first job out of law school was doing sports marketing and, and working directly for Cal Ripken Jr., you know, Hall of Fame baseball player, shortstop, then third baseman for the for the Baltimore Orioles. And he owned a sports marketing firm in Baltimore. It was called the the Tufton Group at that point in time. And now it's called Ripken Baseball. But I, I had an opportunity to work for Cal and draft, negotiate his product licensing and endorsement contracts. And that was something that was incredibly exciting. Especially for a sports fan, to get inside the ropes is is very cool. Was there anything about it, though, that where you kind of said, it's, um, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, it, everything, it's a job, right? Like everything else, it's a job. And it was long hours. You know, we'd, we'd get there to the office at 8 o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, after hours, uh, the office would close. We'd typically go out to dinner with clients. And then we'd go to the game that uh, that evening and, you, and you'd sit there through the game and, and that's always fun but then after the game that's when Cal wanted to sit and and meet and do business because during the day in the mornings you know he was spending time with his kids um, and so the time that he wanted to unwind and, and talk about you know what we're working on was after the games and so that was that's late night you know 1230 or so and then you get up and do it again all over again at eight o'clock and so it was some long days hard work but fun were you single at the time I was I was dating my wife <laughs> it was it was now my wife, yeah. yeah. So she was very um, flexible with the hours and, and very understanding. I think that the spouses of anybody in professional sports are highly overlooked for what they have to put up with for uh, because of the hours. It's just part of the nature of that game of that world. Yeah, is that the hours are insane and yeah, they're like the unsung heroes behind the scenes. Yeah, Cal's wife at the, at the time, Kelly Ripken. Um, was she was great and she was she was very kind and very generous to everybody that, that worked at the Tufton group and in the office and uh, and she really had a good understanding of, of of what we were doing and and what it took to be successful in that world you know I, I kind of skipped ahead of something let me let me back up a second did you did you make a trip to London and do some schoolwork some stuff over there talk about that. I did I um I took some time out at from from University of Rochester and, and went over to London and studied at the London School of Economics and while I was living in London I was also working for a law firm um a, the firm was named Jane's Solicitors and I acted as as what they call a solicitor's representative and so as opposed to just having one lawyer in London where you you know that takes the case from the beginning all the way through chi- trial it's segmented. They have the um, the solicitor who takes the case from from the start and, and moves it along up until about two months prior to trial, at which point it gets turned over to the barrister. And the barrister is the individual who actually tries the case. The barrister, being that he's only had the case for about two months or so, is not as familiar with it as the solicitor. And so the solicitor sends a representative to court 
to help and assist the barrister, and they're called the solicitor's representative. And so if you ever walk into a courtroom in London, you'll see one table in the front that's for the barrister, and then there's a table directly behind the barrister for the solicitor's representative and the client, and, that, and that's where they sit, and that was the role that I played. And you have a bunch of files in front of you that you're going to reference and help the barrister with if he needs it. At that that's, time. A, that's the hope. Yeah. You hope you can be in a position to help them and, and fill in some of the gaps and, and some of the blanks um, as they're still, unfortunately, coming up to speed as even as the trial is, uh, is progressing. Did you become a litigator eventually? Was that part of what uh, you did? Was it that process in London that said, you know what, I can do this. This is what I like. You know, I, I liked seeing the barristers litigate, and that was something that became a possibility in my world, you know, something that I looked at and said, hmm, that, that's interesting. Um, you know, I also interned in, in Washington, D.C. for the um, public defender's office and had a lot of, you know, litigation experience. Not I wasn't licensed and I wasn't the one litigating, but going to court and, and, and watching the public defenders litigate these cases. And, and it was exciting. What gets you from the Tufton Group to the desert? Um, my wife dragged me kicking and screaming. That's that's really the true answer. She um, she went to the University of Arizona in, in Tucson and had an opportunity to move back to Arizona, um, work for the uh, be an assistant attorney general under Janet Napolitano. And it was an opportunity that she really wanted to take. And reluctantly, I agreed. And uh, we had a deal where if after two years I didn't like it, we could move back to Baltimore. I don't know if she was ever going to honor it. But as it turns out, um, I love Arizona. I'm real happy made the move. So she's got something lined up. She's got something with Attorney General Napolitano. And what did you do? What did you I had nothing. And so I had absolutely nothing. And so started um, interviewing a bit. I had... Um, you know, an opportunity with the sons. Um, but, you know, one of the, one of the problems with, with going to law school is law school loans. You're heavily in debt and you come out and you have opportunities to work in the sports world and it doesn't pay that much. And it becomes difficult to pay back those loans and, uh, you know, pay your rent and, and put food on the table. And so I started looking at, at various law firms and um, interviewed at, at a couple and, and found one that I really liked. It was um, the name of the firm at that point in time was Mac and Harold, and there was an attorney there by the name of Richard Harold who had graduated from George Washington University, and that was that was kind of my connection, and uh, went in and, and met with the two attorneys, again, Rick Mack and Rick Harold, and uh, really liked both of them and, and thought it was a good fit, and so started working there. Never really um, expected that I would continue on in real estate. They, they predominantly practiced real estate. I, I didn't think I'd be doing that for the rest of my life, but looks like I may be doing that for the rest of my life. There had to be a learning curve for you coming out of what you were doing and into that world. Was real estate law part of your background at all? It, it wasn't. Um, and, and Rick Mack and Rick Harold were, were very generous in, in, in teaching me and bringing me up to speed. And, and it was hard because, you know, I had passed the, uh, the Maryland bar and then we moved out to Arizona and I needed to take the Arizona bar. And so I was working at the firm during the day and, and going to classes at night to uh, study for the bar. So it, it, it took a lot of time, but passed the Arizona bar on the first try and Really enjoyed a um, you know the the time in the office with uh, with Rick Mack and Rick Harold. Eventually, you become a partner there, correct? Yeah. So um, let's walk through that process. Sure. Rick um, Rick Mack and Rick Harold ultimately um, split apart, and and I stayed with Rick Mack because he was doing more of the real estate, and that's that's what I was interested in. And the name of the firm was Mack and Associates, and for a long time, it, it was just the two of us. And uh, ultimately, I ended up working with Rick Mack for for thirteen years. And and when I left, you know, we had gone from just the two of us to three partners and 14 associates. And so really saw the firm grow over that uh, 12, 13 year period. And it was, it was really gratifying to, to see how far we had come. Your first connection with the Arizona Association of Realtors occurs 
while you're a partner at, at that firm, correct? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, but, you know, the heart of that practice was defending realtors, defending agents and brokers throughout the state. Whenever an agent or broker was sued, we would often um, handle the defense by way of their errors and omissions insurance company. And so that was that was how we got our foot into the, the, the realtor world. That led ultimately to Mac Drucker and Watson, the name of the law firm, taking over the AAR legal hotline. And that's really my first major introduction to the Arizona Association of Realtors was working on that hotline. When did you first meet Michelle Lind? So I met Michelle Lind through Rick Mack. Um, Rick Mack and Michelle Lind had been partners at a, at a law firm previously and uh, were good friends, are good friends to this day. And so Rick was uh, instrumental in introducing me to, uh, to Michelle. When Michelle took the CEO position here at AAR in 2011, uh, you were selected then to become the general counsel. Correct. And then that's that, the way that process worked out. Right, because Michelle was general counsel, and then when she moved to CEO, the, uh, the general counsel position was open, and uh, you know, she was kind enough to, uh, to approach me about the, uh, about the opportunity. So let's talk a little bit about the Arizona Association. Um, first of all, 40,000-plus 40, members? In yeah, the about 46,000 members. 46,000 members. What's the typical day like for the general counsel of AAR? One of the things I love about this job is there is no typical day. I get to do a lot of different activities. You know, I'm out speaking, I'm out teaching, um, I'm here drafting forms, I'm, I'm dealing with issues with members, I'm consulting on litigation, I'm consulting on legislation. So it, it's really a wide spectrum, and I think that's what keeps it fun and interesting for me. So you have a law firm that you have retained? We do. Um, when we need outside assistance on, on major projects, you know, if we have to file an amicus brief with the Arizona Court of Appeals, we'll work with outside counsel to help us on those sorts of tasks. And, and depending on what the task is or, or what the issue is, will depend on the law firm that, that we'll work with for that particular um, item. What's the uh, biggest issue right now facing Arizona realtors? We're sitting here recording this in December of 2016. What's top of mind for you? I, I would say a lot of the problems that we're experiencing have to deal with appraisers and appraisals. We're seeing a massive shortage of appraisers. The the appraisal industry is is aging, and it, it's causing delays in closing. It's sinking deals. Um, we've got appraisers coming into the area from out of state that maybe aren't competent in the local area that they're that they're appraising. We're seeing issues with VA appraisals. You know, VA appraisals are, are taking too long. The VA is taking too long to assign appraisers. We're seeing issues with FHA, um, you know, the, the minimum property standards that they have. It, it's turning their appraisals really into home inspections. And, and it's unfortunate, but I, I see in talking to our members out there that their struggles day in and day out largely surround the appraisal aspect of the deal. That's such a nationally controlled, kind of federally controlled Correct. Um, situation, right? Coming out of Dodd-Frank and all of those things. I'm sure that's a piece of it is how the appraisals are handled. Do you work closely with, say, the Arizona Mortgage Lenders Association to try and come up with ways to resolve or get resolutions? We do. On, on the federal issues, you know, we, we defer to NAR, um, the National Association of Realtors, and, and we work with their attorneys and their lobbyists, and we bring to their attention the issues that we're experiencing. But whenever we're experiencing things on a, uh, on a, on a state level, yes, we, we absolutely work with all of our industry partners to, um, to come up with, with solutions. And I think that we're fortunate here in that we all have a very good relationship. I think one example of that, and I know I was one of the trainers for TRID, but with Tila Respa Integrated Disclosure and then that whole process, you were a major part of that. Um, AAR, the uh, Arizona State Escrow Association, and the Arizona Mortgage Lenders Association all banded together 
and uh, really put on some amazing presentations to smooth that transition out. That was a great example of that. Absolutely. And what, what a lot of people may not know is that we still meet. We still get together the different industries to identify um, the problems that we're facing. You know, if, if one industry has a concern and they want to relay it to the other industry so we can sit down and come up with a solution, yeah, we still have those meetings to make sure that the transition continues to go smoothly, and I, and I think it has to date. So you're still working on the purchase contract right now, correct? Yeah, that's been a, uh, a year-long project and, and something that's taken a lot of time and effort on the part of staff, but also on the part of our, our really generous volunteers. We began the process by having three different sub work groups, and each of the sub work groups addressed different sections of the purchase contract and, and getting back to the the industry partners when we were working on the financing section of the purchase contract, we had lenders come in and help us with that when we 're working on the title and escrow section of the contract. We had representatives from various title companies all across the state come in and work with us to draft language and identify issues that that they that they 're seeing currently with the purchase contract and then come up with solutions. So we relied on our industry partners uh, a lot throughout that process. I want to switch gears a little bit. I've interviewed a lot of local leaders in the real estate industry who give a ton of time as volunteers at the uh, local association level and the state association level. Can you talk about the importance of those realtors stepping up and, and being, being part of the leadership teams? I would say that the, the one thing that has amazed me the most since I've taken this job is the amount of time and dedication that our volunteers put in. You know, you think of these individuals, they're taking time away from their friends, their family, their jobs, all to help make our realtor world here in Arizona a, a better one. And, and we've been very lucky to have the, uh, the leaders that, that we do here. Um, you talk about the line officers, right? It, it starts with the line officers. Paul Servin just finished her year as, as president and, and we all had very high expectations uh, for Paula coming in to uh, be the president, and amazingly, she exceeded all of our expectations. And then this year, I, right as of December 1st, Paula Montofer is our new president, and anyone that knows Paula knows the uh, excitement and energy that, that she brings to this job. Uh, so it's going to be – we know that this is going to be a fun year. And then I've also had um, really good luck with my uh, risk management committee chairs. One of the roles that I perform here at AAR is I'm the staff liaison to the risk management committee. And, and since I've been in, in that position, I've been blessed with with great risk management committee chairs. You know, you talk about Jerry Russell, Martha Apple, Tahona Epperson, Armando Contla, you know, all of those. I mean, they're big names in our industry and very experienced. And then my my this year's chair for, for 2017 is Evan Fuchs, and you don't get anyone who's uh, more experienced and brighter and works harder than Evan. So I, I know that it's going to be a great year from a risk management committee perspective. Tell me what you like best about your job. Well, it dovetails right into to what we just talked about, and it's working with the members. The members are, are really appreciative of, of what we do, and, it, and it's great. You know, you, you go out and you interact with the members, and to have them come up to you and say, hey, thanks so much for revising that form or, or fixing that issue, or thanks for your efforts in helping us keep Arizona's anti-deficiency statutes, or thanks for your efforts on that piece of legislation. It means a lot, and, it, and it's nice to hear, and, and I'm really thankful for, for how appreciative they are. What's, what's the least favorite part of your job? I, I think that the, the least favorite and, and probably the most frustrating is all of the changing government regulations. We talked a little bit earlier about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. We talked about Dodd-Frank, the restrictions they put in on, on seller carryback financing, their scrutiny over marketing services agreements. 
you know, some of those changes we think are, are, are for the best, but there's some other ones that um, we kind of shake our heads at and, and really aren't sure whether they're achieving the, the desired results. But whenever the government implements those sorts of changes, it throws our world um, you know, into upheaval. We've got to then go and, and make changes here on a, on a state level, whether it's changing our forms or informing our members, educating our members of the changes, letting them know, hey, I know you were doing it this way, but when it was HUD, but now that it's CFPB, you got to do it this way. And we spent a lot of time and energy um, on on those changing government re- regulations. And, and to be honest, there's times where it proves quite frustrating. You like to teach and train and talk to people, right? I do. It's yeah. fun to, you know, you don't want to sit behind your, uh, your, your desk for nine, 10 hours a day. It's, it's, it's fun to get out and, and interact with the members and, and to teach and talk to them about the, uh, the forms and how we'd like to see them used and, and some of the risk management issues that, that we're seeing. We'd like to share those with other members so they can avoid the pitfalls that maybe some of their colleagues have, have, have experienced. Yeah, I've seen you in operation at, at state conventions and other venues around the state, and you do a great job with that. So, Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think that, it, as you said, it's something I enjoy doing, so I, I have fun with it. Well, Scott, I've had you here for over the 30 minutes I, I promise I needed from you, so I'm going to ask you the same final question I ask every guest on the podcast, and that is, what is one piece of advice you would give a realtor just getting started in the business? It's The answer may be a little corny, but it's read the forms. The answer that you're looking for, it's in the forms. I used to act as a, uh, a hot, uh, as an attorney for the legal hotline, so we'd have brokers call and ask questions. And for every question, what we did is we pulled out the form, we read the language, and lo and behold, there's the answer. So my advice would be slow down, read the forms. You're going to find the answer you're looking for. Scott, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, all of our contact information for every staff member at AAR is on AAR's website, which is aaronline.com. Log on, you'll get my phone number, you'll get my email address, and members hopefully know that, that they can always reach out to me, You know, whether it's by phone, by email. Um, happy to happy to speak with them, happy to address any problems they have, any questions. Members are always welcome to, uh, to give me a call. Scott, thank you so much for your time. I'll... Even though I grew up in San Diego and kind of a Charger fan still, I'll say good luck with the Ravens. They're in first place, as I think we talked about. And uh, they are. They, they are can hold off the dreaded Steelers. Let's hope so. I'd love to, uh, love to make a playoff run. <laughs> good luck with that. And thanks again for being on the show. I appreciate it. I had fun. Thank you. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.